Today we're going to be talking about, very plainly, the Bible. The Bible, what do we think about this book? What does this book even mean? What relevance does this book have in this modern age? What does it mean to read the Bible, to understand the Bible? What relevance does it have to us as people today? And one of the things you've got to think about when you're thinking about the Bible is it's truly unique in nature. Of course, there are other books out there, sacred texts of other religions. But if you look at the nature of Scripture, it truly is distinct in its form and in its uh, creation. The Bible is not just one book. Not just written by one person, human being, individual. No, it's a book comprised of 66 books written by 40 different people over 1500 years in three different languages now if I was to send 40 people home this afternoon and ask each of these 40 people to write something about God or to write something about church or to write on any subject for that matter. Well, let's think about politics. 40 people in the audience today go home and write 40 different things about politics, and we brought it back and we read it. Do you think there would be some differences in there? Oh, yes. There would be fundamental differences in that, wouldn't there? But yet, in the Bible, a book comprised and written by 40 different writers, there is a thread of unity that is in it. Even though it is written over 1,500 years, many parts of it independent in knowledge of the other parts of it. But yet there is this grand unity to the Bible that is unparalleled in your library. First Peter says of the Bible, listen to this, all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. There's something enduring about the Bible, isn't there? The Bible has been railed against in centuries before us. In fact, one writer once said of the Bible, listen to this, I like this, the greatest proof that the Bible is inspired is that it has stood so much bad preaching. You get that? That one of the proofs to the Bible's endurance is that it has stood the test of time because of bad preaching. And I know that in my own unique way, I have contributed to that bad preaching at times. But yet the Bible still stands. And the Bible has not been erased from human consciousness, has it? There's been plenty of preachers who have preached ignorantly the Word of God. There have been plenty of preachers who have spoke and preached not only in an ignorant way concerning the Scriptures, but they've also preached in a way that sometimes was even hateful. 
and used the Word of God against people, have weaponized the Word of God against people, yet the Bible's still here. And the Bible is still relevant to us. Many have lauded the value of the Bible. Sir Isaac Newton said this, there are many more sure marks of authenticity in the Bible than any profane history. I think I'm getting a little feedback, so I'm going to turn off this mic here. Many have lauded the moral value that you find within it, the teaching that's in it. Soren Kierkegaard talked about the relevance of it. He says, when you read God's Word, you must constantly be saying to yourself, is it talking to me or about me? So sometimes when you read God's Word, not only are you reading about what God is saying, but it begins to read you. It begins to read what your life is about. As Hebrews 4.12 says, it is a discerner of the heart. There's a relevance to the truth of the Bible. That even though it comes to us from centuries before us, it has a relevance to us today. Lincoln said this about the Bible, I am profitably engaged in reading the Bible. Take all of this book that you can by reason and the balance of faith and you will live and die a better man. It is the best book which God has given to man. You think about what Lincoln accomplished in his life for human beings. And Lincoln did not accomplish those things in a vacuum. Lincoln did not was not able to accomplish those things in himself. But it was rooted philosophically in something greater. It was rooted in the truth and in the dignity of human beings being made in the image of God. The interesting story about Lincoln is that when he came to politics, he wasn't an especially religious man. But in his time and in his life, he surrendered to Christ. There have been many people to say great things about the Bible. But there have been some who have said many things against the Bible. Robert Ingersoll in the 1800s says, I am going to put the Bible out of business. That's what he said. One of the most interesting people who were antagonistic towards the Bible was Voltaire. And Voltaire was a, was a French philosopher in the Enlightenment. And he was technically, he wasn't an atheist, but he was a deist. But he was very angry at Christianity. And he said a lot of disparaging things about the Bible. And he said this, A hundred years from my day, there will not be a Bible on earth, except one that is looked upon by an antiquarian curiosity seeker. He was so convinced that the Bible held no truth or relevance to modern man. He said, by the time in a hundred years from now, it's going to be in the museum. No one's going to look for that book anymore. It's interesting to, to know what happened to Voltaire's house. 
Some have argued about this, but historically there's good evidence for this. He was a prolific writer in the 1700s. He wrote some 20,000 letters, 2,000 pamphlets. He was a playwright. But in 1836, William Ackworth went to Voltaire's house. And he said, I found something very interesting. He said his house and his favorite room, Voltaire's favorite room, had become a repository for Bibles and religious tracts. And in fact, the president of the Evangelical Society owned his house. A little ironic, huh? That some hundred years later, Voltaire prophesied that the Bible wouldn't mean anything to modern man and his house was a storeroom for Bibles. Voltaire's were... Can anyone give me a quote from Voltaire? I'm waiting. Can anyone name me 20,000 of the letters? Can anyone in this room name me one play of Voltaire? I guarantee it one of you can quote at least one verse of the Bible to me today. Our lesson text today talks about, in the text it says, the Word of God, the Word of the Lord, the Word preached, the milk of the Word. You see, Scripture is of divine origin. And just a part of that proof is the fact that it exists, it still exists despite all this opposition and all this scrutiny. The Scripture says of itself, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto good works. The Greek word for inspired literally means God breathed. The Scriptures are of divine origin. It is source is from God Himself. And we need God's voice, don't we? We need His voice for direction in our life. We need a transcendent voice in our life. Jeremiah of old said, O oh Lord, I, I do not know the way, nor the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man to direct his own path. We need the Lord's direction. So 1 Peter gives us some insight into the power of God's Word. The first thing that the Scriptures tell us in 1 Peter 1 is that number one, the Word of God purifies. The Word of God purifies. Look at verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. The first thing that the Word of God begins to do in our lives as we interact and read it is that it purifies the soul and heart. You see, there is a part of you that's so very important. All of you are important. But there's something about you that is everlasting in nature. That God has not just created you for today. He's created you for Himself, which means He's created you for eternity. And that is your soul. Your soul is of immense value. It's more valuable than this building. It's more valuable than your house, your car, your bank account. It's more valuable than anything on earth. That's what Jesus says about your soul. That one soul 
is worth more than the world itself. Jesus says, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Your soul is important, isn't it? It's a part of you that lasts forever. And God is concerned about your soul. And as a part of that, that internal reality, we need purification. I need to be cleansed on the inside. And it's only through the Word of God that that purity can come. It's through the Word of God. But he also talks about something else. Not only does he talk about the purification of the soul, he talks about the purification of the heart. And the outgrowth of this purification, he says, is this. Love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. You see, the Bible, the Word of God, gives us the story of God's relentless love. That's what the story of the Bible is. That when you want to look at the whole big picture of the Bible, what is it talking about? It's talking about God loves humanity. And that He is willing to go to great lengths to redeem and save humanity. He has a relentless love for human beings. And when we confront the love of God, when we discover the Word of God and the love of God that's within it, it purifies our own heart's ability to love. You see, the world and people, including me, laws rushing, including you, we have a heart problem. When you look out into the world... And when you see all of the deception, when you see all of the pain, when you see all of the suffering, when you see all the lies, when you see all the people drunk with power, when you see all that, it comes down to one thing. It's a heart problem, isn't it? Jeremiah said it. He said this, The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked. You see, I have a heart problem and I need God's Word to purify my heart. I need to confront the love of God which challenges me, which purifies me. The Bible says that God will give us a new heart and a new spirit, Ezekiel says. He says that He came to write His laws on our hearts. So God has come not just to make you a moral person. God's Word is not just about you being moral. It's about the transformation of your heart. It's about being able to love people like God loves people. And isn't that what Jesus said? On the same night He was betrayed, He said, by this... All people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's only one way to have the kind of love that God has. And that's for our hearts to be purified by the very Word of God. Because the Word of God is the story of God's relentless love. Why should you love your enemy? Why should you love your enemy? 
Why should you love someone who is against you? Jesus commands it. The reason why we are to love our enemies is because God has a love for your enemy. Because your enemy is the object of God's love. Just like you are. The Word of God purifies the heart. Number two, the Word of God brings new birth. Look at verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed. We have to first see the contrast between the natural birth and the spiritual birth. The first birth, the natural birth, the physical birth is one unto corruption, isn't it? That as, as soon as a person is born into this world, there is a death sentence, isn't there? No matter how beautiful the baby is, no matter how wonderful the baby, no matter how smart the child is, there is a death sentence. It is appointed unto man once to die. We are born into corruption. That's, that's depressing. That's depressing, isn't it? I have been fortunate enough to see new life many times. New babies born to this world. And we don't think about that sentence, do we? And if that was the end of the story, how sad the story would be. But the Bible says that there is a new birth, one that's not corruptible. One that's incorruptible. Why? Because it's wrought. It's manifest through the Word of God. But incorruptible, the new birth, through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. The reason why the new birth is enduring the reason why it abides and is everlasting is because it's through the everlasting Word of God. It's built on the foundation of the truth of who God is. You know, there's been many people who have tried to get rid of this enduring Word, haven't they? There's an interesting story in the life of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 36. And Jeremiah is, is a prophet, and no one likes his message. He's got an inconvenient message for the world. And, and, and Israel and Judah have become so wicked. They're pagans. They still worship God sometimes, but for the most part, they, they do a lot of pagan activity. They have their own temples. And in fact, it got so wicked in Judah that they were sacrificing their own children to Molech. That's how bad it had gotten in Judah. And Jeremiah had to give them this message from God. He was told to give them this message from God that's saying, repent or otherwise Babylon is coming and going to invade and going to destroy Jerusalem. And so God told Jeremiah in chapter 36 to write down the message I have for you. Listen to this in verse 2. Take a scroll of a book and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel, against Judah, and against all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah even to this day. Josiah was a good king. But the king now was doing evil. Listen to this, verse 3. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adversities which I purpose to bring upon them, that everyone may turn from his evil way, 
that I may forgive their iniquity and their sins. So the whole purpose of, of Jeremiah writing it down on the scroll and for it to be read is for the people to repent and turn away from their iniquity and to God. So Jeremiah's friend Baruch, who helped him write it down, is given the job of reading the scroll before the people in the temple. He starts reading the scroll of judgment. And as soon as the people hear the news that Babylon is coming to destroy Judah for their sinfulness, they said, hey, hey, the king's got to hear this. The king's got to really hear this. We're going to go get the king. Y'all go hide and we're going to go get the king. And what does the king do? The king takes and hears just a minute of the scroll. And he burns it. He burns the scroll in front of everybody. And then what happens? Verse 27, Now after the king had burned the scroll with the words which Baruch had written at the instruction of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Take yet another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. You see, the king Jehoiakim didn't like the message. And he tried to burn the scroll himself. And he did. But the message of God could not be burned. The scroll could. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah again and he wrote on the scroll again. And this time, not only was there judgment for the people of Judah, but there was judgment for Jehoiakim. God's providence has preserved His Word. You can try to get rid of the message. You can try to burn the Bibles in your house, but it doesn't take away the truth and the veracity of the message of God. You can't burn the truth. We also find that the Word of God brings growth. It says in chapter 2, verses 1, Therefore, we live our lives laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. You see, if you spend time in God's Word, it will change you. It will change you fundamentally. If you spend time in God's Word, it will make you a better person. Because if you study God's Word, if you spend time with God, then you lay aside malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. And as a result, it says, you become like a newborn babe desiring the milk. How much does a baby want milk? How much? I tell you what, mothers are busy providing milk for babies. Amen? And in the same fashion, it says that our appetites as Christians as, is to be as newborn babes desiring the milk of the Word. Our appetite for spiritual things. And as a result, if we're with the Word of God and spending time, then we grow because of it. Why? Because the Word of God is the words of life. It's the words of life. It's the incorruptible seed. Remember Peter said, to whom else shall we go? You, Jesus, have the words of life. 
The Bible not only has the words of life, but it also has wisdom in it. We've got a lot of information in this world. You can get all kinds of information at your fingertips right now. You can find out almost everything about me if you want to by Googling, right? You can find out about me. I can find out about you. You can find out about anything. But does that mean we have wisdom? Wisdom. It says, for the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. We may have all this data, all this information, but do we know what to do with it? Right? We need wisdom. There's also these stories in the Bible that helps us to understand who we are. It says in Romans 15, 4, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we might have patience and comfort through the Scriptures. There's these stories that help us understand who we are and understand who God is. I was talking to Riverbell about the Bible the other day. We just happened to be talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, just a lightweight Bible story for a seven-year-old. I said, yes, that was a wicked city. Wicked cities, and, and they were so wicked, God had to destroy them. And then she asked a question. She asked a question that was profound. Seven-year-old profound question. Well, what about the good people? And I said, you know what, that's so funny. Because that's the same question that Abraham had for God himself. And how intuitive it is to read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And when God gives his judgment to ask the question, what about the good people? And remember, God challenged Abraham, go into the city and find 50 good people and I won't destroy it. And the number got down to 10 And the point is, is that God is a righteous judge. He did not destroy that city. He did not destroy innocent people in Sodom and Gomorrah. And what does that tell us about who God is? What does that tell us about God's Word? That it answers the profound question of a seven-year-old at first glance. It's amazing. And the Bible says that when we spend time in God's Word, what we find is, verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that, the Lord is gracious. Because when you discover the Word of God, you realize what God is pursuing is you. Imagine that. Imagine that, that this story is all about you and God. And about your relationship with God and where God wants you to be for eternity. And when you read it, you discover just how good God is. That's the power of God's Word. It purifies your heart to be able to love. It purifies your soul. It brings you strength. It brings you growth. It brings you the graciousness of God. 
The Word of God is forever. And to know His Word is to know Him. These days I like to look back and see what writings I have of my father. Some of those are preserved on Facebook. I get to see the comments that he made in his life. And his words connect me to his heart. We find letters from people all the time and it gives us a description of who they are and what they cared about. And this is the letter to you from God. And it's about you. So I hope this morning that my sermon isn't the proof of God's inspiration because it survived my bad preaching. But I hope it has made your appreciation for this book to grow. Because it's 2020. And you have a lot of choices as to what books your nose will be in. And I hope that you will choose the book that endures forever. I remember talking to one of my professors one time, one that I didn't always agree with. But he said, let me tell you, Laws, that book will last longer than anything you ever say. That's why I stand up here and preach it as opposed to my ill-informed opinions. It's the Word of God which will stand the test of time. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will endure. Have you obeyed the Word of God? The Bible says that to obey the Word of God is to believe it. To believe that it is from divine origin, that God has given us what we need to understand Him, to understand ourselves. To see what He wants for our lives. That His commandments are for our good. They're for our flourishment. They're for our health. To repent of sin. To confess Jesus to be the Son of God. And to be baptized, immersed into His body, the church. Have you obeyed the Word of God? Not the Word of men. The Word of God. Or if you need prayers of healing or encouragement... We're ready to assist you. We're going to sing this next song to encourage you. If you have any need, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.